This episode of Country Squire Radio is brought to you by Missouri Meerschaum. We thank them for supporting this show, and we thank you for supporting them. Radio. I'm Bo. And I'm John David. JD! Hey, Bo. Good afternoon, man. Man, good afternoon to you too, sir. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, I've been looking forward to this all day long. We're, uh, what is it, June 17th as we are recording this. This will go out later this week as a podcast. But, you know, it, it's just so cool, man, as you have traveled off to Texas and uh, you know, we used to bump into each other a little more often here in um, in in Central Mississippi. But man, I, it's just about time to check in with you, dude. And I'm uh, I'm excited <laughs> to ch- to chat with you every uh, every Monday. It's just good. I, I, we check in with our uh, Squire community, our Squire listeners, and uh, I get to I get to hear your your glowing voice. So uh, yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it, man. No, likewise, it's always good to. Uh, check in with you, and I, I gotta, you know, I, I feel remiss for not not saying doing this last week, but I definitely want to do it now. Happy last not Father's Day. Oh yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, actually, happy. It's it. I've kind of considered it a Father's Day. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's different from when the kid can act like the kids can actually start like you yeah, know, no, like no. bringing you stuff. It, that's and, right. You know, you'll granted next year for you it'll be like here's a dirty diaper, Dad. Like it'll be, you know it. it <laughs> It grows, it goes. But I got to tell you, man, I had a brilliant Father's Day this last past. Oh, weekend. that's good, man. That's great. Yeah, the kiddos, uh, they they surprised me with breakfast in bed. They had waffles and and all great stuff. I, I went to the store and got myself a very nice steak and <laughs> enjoyed uh, <laughs> enjoyed consuming that. And uh, yeah, had a, had a good day at the pool, and it, it was it was fun, man. That's good, wonderful. Good Father's dude. Day over here. How was things at the pipe shop? Because I feel like there's two businesses in particular that really like capitalize on Father's Day. And that's, you know, the the hardware store and the pipe shop. So, so hopefully this was like a really good day for you. Dude, yeah. Things around the pipe shop were hopping, man. It was amazing. We, you know, I always forget kind of how intense the rush is for uh, Father's mm-hmm. Day. You know, you, you obviously you think about holidays, you know, in, in the world, uh, Christmas time and you know, you think about uh, International Pipe Smoking Day in in February, and that's always a rush. But Father's Day, yeah, it's it's incredible. People people come out of the woodworks, and you know, it, it's funny. We always have these guys. We've talked about this multiple times, but it's like I love my dad. He smokes a pipe sometime. I might buy him a little something, but I'm really here for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. And it just happens all the time. So it's always kind of funny. It's a wink and a nod between me and the customer, and then they wind up buying something stupid for themselves, you know? That's <laughs> <laughs> what you got to do, man. But it, no, it's great. It's great. It's, uh, it, it was, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys, too. One thing, um, you know, the, the fathers are like, well, I'm the father. I'm going to treat myself, right? And uh, one thing I've seen more and more over the past couple of years, it's kind of neat, really. Uh, new dads, and, and I'm going to do this as well, which I mean, obviously, you know, what am I, you know, not going to do this, but uh, new dads uh, occasionally are buying pipes in honor of their newborn children. And yeah, yeah, I just think it's kind of a neat idea. You know, I have several customers that have come in and done that over the past couple of years. And, you know, I, well, I had to have a child and for every child I get a, I get a new pipe, you know, and then when I, when I smoke that pipe, I think of that child, or maybe I use that as a time to uh, pray for that child or, or, you know, think about my hopes and dreams for that child or something. And um, yeah, I just think that's kind of cool, right? You know, it's like something you can go to when, when you're kind of 
uh, thinking fondly about uh, about a sp- certain special person in your life. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's keep having kids and keep buying pipes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great, great world advice right there. Man. Well, uh, you know, you, you'd mentioned to me before the show that uh, we had a, we had a pilgrim come by, huh? Dude, it was awesome. Yeah, today uh, was so so amazing. I'm sitting there at the shop. It's really it was a crazy day to be honest with you. Like we uh, we had a pipe event today with Arcadia pipes which it, arcadia is a uh distributorship uh it, which is out of italy and it represents several pipes uh that you've heard of seriacopo uh luigi Viprati, uh, la natra um it just so many uh pipe brands that are fantastic you know master of geppetto so anyway we were having this awesome event today our friend Maurizio was there and uh, brought just a whole smorgasbord of pipes and they were you know gorgeous and took up the whole shop this is a little stressful. Got a lot going on. A lot of moving parts. People perusing the pipe trunk show, and me sending uh, photos to some of our customers uh, abroad, making sure they got uh, you know awareness of, of what we had and saw if, uh, you know they we have some customers every time we have a trunk show they want to know kind of what's going on. So trying to keep them apprised. All that to say, it was crazy. And then all of a sudden, this uh, this soft spoken uh, man comes in today, about our age, Bo, I, I think, and he said his name is Stephen. And he's a fan of the show. And he had this very curious accent. And Stephen is a Frenchman that lives in Scotland. And he, oui? yeah, and he came to the country squire today and it was so cool, man. It was really, really <laughs> wow. great. His, uh, his wife who he, um, met in Canada actually, but, uh, is from the, uh, from the South. She grew up in, uh, Texas and her family, a lot of them now live in New Orleans. And so, uh, they come back pretty regularly to visit their family and uh, and and while they were here, uh, you know, in the U.S., they made a point to you know spend uh, an entire day and a night uh, here in Jackson and come came hang hang out with us, man. So it was so cool, Stephen. Uh, dude, just really really precious couple, man. It was so great, him and his wife. Um, but they they got to come up. Stephen actually works for um, how, how Scottish is this, right? Stephen actually works for uh, a a Scotch whiskey. Uh, distillery <laughs> right and so he's the he's actually like the, one of the marketing directors for them it's uh really it's, uh ben romick uh in Eg- El- elgin elgin scotland uh ben romick and it, it's actually the way Stephen described it, it's a very uh small uh small distillery they used to do mostly scotch for blends that they would sell and it would be put into blended whiskey but uh now for the past several uh years they've been doing uh, their own single malt uh, very small batch stuff. It's uh, you know gaining popularity, but still has a small footprint. But it was cool, Bo. He actually brought uh, me and you uh, some ah! of some of this scotch. He brought us a bottle and and also brought us. Um, are, are you familiar with these little scotch glasses, the Glencairn glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. um, it, it can have a little bit of a curvature to them. Yeah, they the almost look like a little like a little flute or a little bud vase kind of thing, you know. And yeah, it, uh, no, I know exactly. I got a couple of those actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you have another one now, <laughs> <laughs> because all the way from Scotland, man, Stephen, uh, Stephen brought us one. So that was that was cool. Got to break that bottle open with him, and um, so hopefully by the time you come to Jackson, uh, there will be some of that scotch left. You bet, dude. You bet. <laughs> Come on, man. No, that that needs to be part of our next Squire Select. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I can ship you a little a little dram of it, but I, I don't know. A little know. flask. Yeah, yeah. Get a flask in the mail. <laughs> That's you'll have, awesome. You'll have to be a good boy, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. No, it was so, really so, cool, man. <laughs> you mentioned they do have kind of a, a smaller footprint. Can you get this stuff in the states right yeah. now? Yeah. Well, currently they are changing distributors in America. So, but he he said to stay tuned on that. That it'll be. 
uh, within the coming months more readily available. But um, it's Ben Romach, B-E-N-R-O-M-A-C-H, if I'm if I wrote that down correctly, um, really, really beautiful scotch. It's a peated Speyside whiskey. Uh, you know, we've, we talk about on our Squire Select episodes, uh, you know, scotches occasionally. And um, this particular whiskey, uh, you know, Speysides tend to not have any of the smoke uh, element there. But this is a peated whiskey, so it does have a hint of smoke kind of in the background. I, I've got already have some uh, tobacco pairings that I'm interested in. Uh, testing with this particular scotch so, uh, yeah <laughs> pretty cool dude pretty seriously cool. you better you better not drink my whiskey <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see we'll see how uh we'll see how good you are yeah. <laughs> oh man i need to call somebody up there and have them sneak it behind your back right, i know right yeah well I, I i would like to say i just i you know i'm actually at home right now while we're recording and right. um I wanted to make sure I had the name of this scotch right. And so I texted up to the shop. I texted our, our friend, Stephen, who works for us at the shop. Of course, we all know Stephen is... Stephen from Scotland, from no, France, that's from... Yeah, Stephen... Uh, Canadian. Yeah, Stephen, uh, who is the anti-hurricane, right? Right, and, right. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he said, actually, that he had to go find, in order to get the answer for me off this bottle of whiskey, he had to go find it because the hurricane actually showed up this afternoon, apparently, Dude, while, while no, I had left. You keep that and, whiskey and so, <laughs> away from the hurricane exactly and so steven actually <laughs> he had hidden he had hidden the uh the scotch uh and so he had to go back in the office and uh and you know pull it out from the cabinet they did he had tucked it away into to protect wow. it from the uh you know from the from the thirsty monster so <laughs> man oh I'm, I'm stressed out right now i know <laughs> man Bre- breathe breathe easy our our, bo- our boy the anti-hurricane is is looking out for us so. he's, uh, he's on it yeah, yeah steven Steven's looking out for Steven. That's great. You know, we have had a bunch of uh, pilgrims recently, and it's so funny because a few of them have actually gotten to meet the hurricane, like while they're yeah, <laughs> while <laughs> while they're in Jackson. Like a lot of them in the Is past, it because have I'm not. gone. Like, does the well, hurricane show up more now that I left town? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I think maybe he's, um, you know, just uh, I, I, for whatever reason, he's just been able to to spend more time at the shop. And, you know, and having said that, when pilgrims are coming by the shop. And so, you know, it, it, it's like, OK, it, you, you never know what pilgrims are thinking when they come in the shop. Again, I, you know, because we're just a small little pipe shop. I, I, I pull out as much of the red carpet as I can find. We want them to, you know, feel like they're well taken care of and at home. But then the hurricane shows up and you're just like, right. all right, here we go. Like that, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, in the South, what what is that? What do they say in Steel Magnolias? You know, we the, the difference with people in the South is we bring our crazy like out into the living room where you can see it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and and uh, you know about when, right. when the hurricane shows up, it's just um, it, we just kind of bring our crazy out there, you know. So it's just uh, there. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it, you, you can't hide that. <laughs> so anyway, Man. we we we've had a lot of friends stop by, and they've had a lot of fun with uh with that. So. Um, but yeah, man, good, good stuff. It was great to meet Steven today and, uh, try that whiskey and, uh, man, uh, gr- great listener and friend all the way from, uh, Elgin, Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be watching, uh, watching, watching the increase of the distribution of that beverage, uh, with, with great interest. I know. Uh, man. Well, you know, so, you know, you mentioned, of course, the, the crazy comes out and everything. Well, you know, as, and as old age hits us, uh, the, the crazy just increases and, and the, uh, Man, the, the Squire, man, she ain't as young as she used to be. Uh, coming up here on the 49-year anniversary. Tell me know, about what's going man. on, man. Yeah, 49 years. It's incredible. And we are uh, uh, we kind of teased this out last week. We're finally starting to nail down some of the details for our 49th anniversary uh, as a shop. 
Uh, it's funny, every time I mention it, you know, folks look at me and they're like, well, you're not 49. And I'm like, no, nah, I guess I'm not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, 49 years uh, this August, and we're uh, thrilled. We are actually announcing now that we are having an event uh, featuring Max Stokeby and STG Lane, and they are going to oh, have a oh. spread. Yeah, at uh, at the Country Squire on uh, August fifteenth, which is a Thursday night. It's from six to nine p.m. And uh, man, everybody listening and everybody everywhere is welcome, and uh, we're really really fired up about that. So um, August fifteenth from six to nine p.m. Uh, Max Stokeby will will be there along with uh, General Cigar uh, featuring no, 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 a whole no, bunch no, no, of great. No. Max, Max isn't going to be there. Max no. isn't going to be there. He's going to be the event. Yeah. He, Ma- he, Max is going to be there? Max is going to be there, man. I He's, thought you were going to have a cardboard cutout of Max. You're going to actually have Max there. No, like, I, I, I'm i telling you, I had to call in a lot of favors, and, like, you know, it, Max is actually, he, he, he's actually, you know, it, he's, he's risking the quality of his reputation by coming down and hanging out with me on our 49th birthday <laughs> Gener- generations of the stokeby name tossed to the wind i know right down the country squire. it's so careless just so careless but um man yeah our, our buddy max is going to be there in town uh you know talking man great pipe tobaccos we'll have a whole slew of uh you know stokeby and lane tobaccos there things like man. orlick and a scudo and uh it'll be great also general cigar they are going to be gracious enough to bring in some of their uh most esteemed brands, uh, brands like CAO and Cohiba and uh, Partagas. Uh, we're just really, really fired up about that. So again, August 15th from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, if you are in our area, uh, this or if you're not, this will give you a reason to come and uh, <laughs> be really excited to see. We're going to have live music and food and just a whole night of it. So um, anyway, if you're around, come on down. Man, that's awesome, man! I, you know, we got to we got to give a major shout out to you know the. It's awesome whenever the uh, the pilgrims are coming in. Anybody traveling to the shop, but. You know, the, the great thing is that this show is made possible by the listeners and uh, those who have supported us, who have become members at patreon.com slash country squire radio. I want to give a major shout out, though, to uh, back back in the day when we first launched it, our 12th actual member that signed up back then, Jonathan Daly, just recently bumped up his membership from Pilgrim to Squire. And I was just, you know, we, when we see the uh, the bump ups happen from time to time. But but Jonathan in particular, like when when I see a number that is it that's in those like you know early like early teens like preteens really because this, yeah. this, yeah. this is the twelfth <laughs> member of uh, of the club and so you know really want to just uh, give a major shout out there. Thank you so much for supporting us for increasing your support, Jonathan. Uh, we see that and we just we just want to let you know. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've had uh, a lot of those too recently, man. We are so honored. People that uh, over time have, um, you know, been with us uh, from the very beginning of the uh, Pipe Club on Patreon, and um, man, it, you know, are gracious enough have you know experienced some uh, value in what we're doing, and um, you know have uh, have have upped their ante as they've been able to. And uh, man, it's been great. It's just such an honor to uh, to be with you every week and to have your support. Yeah, absolutely. And before we jump into tonight's topic, I want to let everybody know that we've got an, an episode coming up soon, a, a pipe culture episode. Now, uh, for those that are, are unaware, we do a series called Pipe Culture, where we take a look at the culture that surrounds uh, the pipe, pipe smokers, and then also just the, uh, the something of like the mythology around it. I mean, if I that might be a little bit too uh, grandiose a word, but I'm throwing it in given the nature of this no, particular think, episode. I think that's fair. Yeah. Right. I mean, like the lore of the pipe, the community that surrounds it, the, uh, you know, the, the story that binds us, the, the, the things that connect us, the things that separate us. Regardless, it, it is kind of a study, uh, a, a non-scientific study of pipe culture. 
And we've been doing within that series kind of a mini series of, an, of its own, which is places, talking about various places in which we enjoy our pipe. And so we have got one coming up soon, which is the porch. So the porch. what that means, <laughs> what that means is we're asking you, the listener, you know, when you think of like pipe smoking on the porch, what does that mean to you? What, what kind of imagery comes to mind? What kind of stories might you have? Uh, write those into us and share those because we love reading off those stories as part of our pipe culture series and really turning the mics over to you and sharing kind of what your thoughts are. This is, like I said, a non-scientific study, but one that we're all kind of doing together by sharing our own experiences, our own uh, our own visions of, of kind of what this might be. So yeah. pipe culture places, the next one is the porch. If you got thoughts, if you got theories, if you got feelings, send those in. Show at countrysquireradio.com is the place to do it. All right, John David, this episode is a long time coming. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> in many respects, this is like we've, we've tiptoed around this particular episode. Now, you know, for, for those who've never listened before, we've got a series called Heroes of the Bowl. You may have noticed that directly in yeah. the title of this episode. And this is where we kind of take a look at pipe smokers from both a history and fiction. And we kind of take a look at their their life and, and kind of what they represent and and you know, some, some notable aspects of their life, their personality, but then also, you know, the fact that they were pipe smokers and, and perhaps what they smoked or, you know, the, the imagery that they kind of contributed to also that kind of grand pipe culture as well. And I think it is safe to say <laughs> in the world of nonfiction, as in a real person, obviously in the world of fiction, this person's a titan as well, but, but in the world of like actual people, actual pipe smokers, few hold a candle to being more iconic than today's focus of the heroes of the bowl, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> John, John, before, we, before we even jump into the man himself, I mean, like, if, if you had to give kind of an overview or kind of some general thoughts about the impact that Tolkien has had on just, just kind of the, the pipe smoking community, I mean, how, how it, let, put the world aside for a minute, like yeah. just specifically the pipe smoking community. Like, like, how would you how would you describe that? Yeah, it, it it's it's incredibly hard to put to words because it 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 spans you know over a hundred years. I mean, we, we're talking about someone that has had an impact, like you said. J if we're just cluing in on the pipe uh, community and and you know pipe smoking in general uh, it, itself, um, I mean, we're talking about someone that has had. Uh, an incredible influence during his lifetime and posthumously. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, man. Just just right. think about all the uh, the richness that uh, that Tolkien brought uh, from the pipe, uh, how it ministered to him both uh, in life and in war. Uh, he inserted that into uh, you know the the fantastical uh, worlds that he created, and then and then it is brought back out. You know, decades after he's been uh, no longer with us, right? And 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 you know, created this whole new generation of pipe smokers. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's really uh, really remarkable. Yeah, it would be hard to find someone outside of the tobacco or pipe industry, um, perhaps that has that has affected pipe smoking more than uh, than J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. You know, when kind of taking, sitting down and, and kind of preparing for this episode, you know, there's so much about Tolkien that, you know, we as pipe smokers, we, we probably already come knowing, of course, you know, the creator of Lord of the Rings, the creator of The Hobbit, um, you know, his literary uh, best buds with C.S. Lewis, their friendship is, is kind of become the stuff of legends. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot that we kind of bring into our common understanding of Tolkien, but, but 
Let me ask you something, John David. When, when you think of Tolkien, does this word come to mind? Prankster? <laughs> you know, not off the top of my head. I guess it doesn't, yeah. but, but maybe, yeah, that's, part- maybe that's true. What about this one? Partier? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, how, how about Terrible Driver? And I'm not talking about in his elder years. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that too, huh? Yeah, no. So J.R. Tolkien, man, he was uh, he was a funny guy. He was he was a prankster. He would often use props to uh, throw people off. He was a fan of beer. Uh, He's very very fond of it. And and it's funny because we have so many different kind of recordings of Tolkien talking about his love of beer in particular. But but that time he's kind of an an older statesman who's yeah. enjoying a, a beverage and a pipe. But we got to remember. The the reason why we associate certain things with older statesmen is because that's what they were doing back during their frat days. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this was a dude that would like show up to parties dressed up as polar bears. Like he was he was kind of he was kind of a wild and fun guy. Now, not to say, of course, that he wasn't also intellectual. He was uh, a, a man of 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 much character. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I was kind of shocked to learn that that he was kind of some something of a of a funnier guy and that's so interesting days. Bo. i guess i'd never um I, I never really knew that aspect about tolkien you know he, he he does come across of course we professor tolkien right this uh super intellectual incredibly thoughtful and uh tender-hearted you know very focused on his faith and literature and uh writing and all this stuff but um yeah i, I never knew he was uh he was a freaking animal <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting because you have to think about, you know, his history. And so not just, you know, the the man that we know him as today, kind of at, at the end, you know, at, at the conclusion of his life with his life's works on full display and having such far reaching influence. But yeah, before before he was, you know, the, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, yeah, he was he was a funny guy. He was he enjoyed life. He had a lot of love for life. And that kind of love for life was very heavily impacted as the rest of his life would be from his experiences at war. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's at this point, it's very well known that the, the aspects of Lord of the Rings were directly influenced uh, or his, his kind of vision for Lord of the Rings was directly influenced by his experience in the trenches. And man, you know, it's interesting to me that he was a storyteller through and through. And so like every single time that he got a chance, he was, he was jotting down stories. And in fact, you know, he had a uh, journal that he kind of kept with him that he called the Book of Lost Tales, where he would just kind of write down these different stories and, and thoughts and feelings and, and basically kind of almost a personal story journal. Wow. Where it wasn't just him sharing what he thought, but it was almost him putting himself in kind of, uh, you know, kind of wrapping narrative around what was going on in his life or what he was observing almost as kind of like a, and this is just me kind of projecting here, but almost kind of like a psychological processing of okay. the extremities around him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, um, like you said, I guess, uh, trying to develop those things and, and record them. Um, yeah, I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> well, well I, I just, I find it fascinating because I mean, he, he was, he was very much in love with the idea of story. Um, you know, he was in love with the idea of history as well. He was somebody who did not have a, um, you know, he, he was almost kind of like, if you, if you think about Tolkien and the, his approach to fiction, it's almost like the anti-Star Trek. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Like, so if Star Trek, and I, I say this, uh, I have, I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on Star Trek at all. I'm not a, I'm not a Trek guy. I'm not a Trekkie or a Trekker or anything of that nature. John <laughs> David's probably more into Star Trek than I am. That yeah, shows I've, you I've just I've kind of come along, yeah, but uh, on, on the Star Trek stuff. Part of that's by marriage and, uh, and part of that's just, uh, I, I've, I've learned to enjoy it. But yeah, I don't, 
Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, in, that, in that case, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but but the general sense of Star Trek is kind of the promise that technology like creates a better society, right? Yeah. Like we are able to kind of progress the society because of the uh, the impact of technology and the advancements uh, and the kind of that that kind of trickle out effects. Kind That's of right. And, and, that, and that eventually, right? you know, problems uh, are solved and, and are problems no more. They're things of the past, right? Right, exactly. So, so on on kind of the complete opposite side, <laughs> you have Tolkien, who was very much so on the side of like, well, technology is is bad. Like, like the more that time goes on, uh, the the worse off things get, and the more that we kind of dive into technology. And admittedly, you know, in in the in the age of Twitter and kind of the impact of social media on uh, just just everything in general. Uh, it's it's hard it's hard to argue with them. Of course, at the time, <laughs> his mindset was more on you know weapons of mass destruction and seeing just these advanced ways of yeah. ending human life and yeah uh, and just kind of the the this feeling as though we're heading in the wrong direction. And Tolkien yeah. was very kind of defined by that. Like his his mindset, his philosophy was very much on this kind of trajectory of we're always going to lose and we're just going to keep on being defeated and defeated and defeated. Mm. Now, as a Christian man, as a Catholic, uh, you know, we, we know that he also saw a greater victory coming uh, yeah. beyond this world. And so there, he wasn't, you know, <laughs> what, 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 what's the word for somebody who's just like completely negative all the time or thinks that like the world is well, meaningless. Yeah. Like a fatalist kind of thing. I mean, I, yeah. 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 I think, I think, you know, what you're saying is, is true. I mean, it, you know, if you look at his experiences in uh, World War One and just how, um, how gory they were and, and, you know, in his mind, even demonic. I mean, uh, you know, the, the this is a, a war where uh, the entire uh, order of things was was upturned. We, we've talked before about, you know, uh, folks entering World War One, uh, you know, with uh, where, you know, on horseback uh, with bayonets wearing feathered caps. And you come out on the <laughs> other side of uh, of World War One and we have the tank and, uh, you know, mass, uh, you know, warfare and mustard gas and everything else. And so. Uh, you know, it's um, it's hard to see why he wouldn't be discouraged from that, right? I mean, you're, you're right. in the middle of it, and just you know, incredible uh, seeing this stuff as a as a a, a Briton, uh, you know, fighting in that um, environment. Uh, you understand, but then you know, he does. He has this redemptive hope, right? That uh, you know, as a person, uh, as someone who is a believer, um, he, that that stream uh, runs through his uh, you know, characterization of. Uh, how he's interpreting the events of the world. And of course that makes its way into his, uh, into his fiction. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, like I mentioned before that, you know, he, he has this legendary friendship with Lewis and, and Tolkien, his faith being a, a strong influence in his life uh, is kind of credited for, for kind of actually bringing Lewis into Christianity as well. Um, albeit, you know, <laughs> if you think about the fact that Tolkien was a Catholic and Lewis only made it to Anglican, uh, <laughs> it's almost like he, he didn't quite make the mark. Uh, <laughs> you know, that it's like, oh, almost Catholic. <laughs> yeah. It's, what, what do we say about uh, my fellow Anglicans? It's like, uh, you know, it it all, all the uh, pageantry of Catholicism, but none of the guilt, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you no, almost I, have to wonder, you know, yeah, as a Catholic, if Tolkien was like, ah, just missed it. <laughs> I know. So close. So close. Yeah. No, it is. It is cool. You know, uh, that uh, obviously was a real special relationship there. And um, of course, these were brilliant people that, uh, you know, were incredibly, um, you know, deliberate and thoughtful about how they thought about the world, how they thought about their 
uh, their theology, their um, uh, you know, the, their thoughts on sociology and philosophy and everything else. And so, um, you, you know, they had complex opinions, and uh, you know, of course, got together to talk about these things over um, over things like a pipe and and rich beer, you know. And that was uh, that was pretty cool. I would love to have been a fly on the wall. Yeah, man. So they were part of this organization, this kind of group of folks called the Inklings. Now, this is a a kind of now famed group of writers that would come together and, like you say, enjoy beer, enjoy pipes uh, at the local pub, the Burden Baby, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. The, the, the slang for it. But yeah, the Inklings was the name of their organization. And now this is really fascinating. And this is something that I did not know before doing my research. Um, so, so you know, Lewis, we've actually done an episode on Lewis in the past. And of course, Lewis famous for uh, Chronicles of Narnia, but also famous for his, his space uh, uh, series. Space uh, trilogy. Uh, yeah. Space trilogy. Now, do you know the origins of where that space trilogy came from, John David? I actually don't. You know, I've read those books and um, it, I, and I love Lewis, but they just don't seem to fit, uh, you know, his whole... Um, I don't know, kind of working model. I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know. All right, so this is really interesting. So, so legend has it that there was a coin toss between uh, Tolkien and Lewis. And the idea was that one of them was going, like one of them had to write a space novel and the other one had to write a time travel novel. And so the, the, the die was cast as it were, the, the coin was tossed. And so Lewis got space and Tolkien no got time. Way. Yeah. And so, of course, Lewis goes on to create uh, the Paralandra series, where it's kind of his, his yeah. space series. And in in so in that series, he actually bases the main character after Tolkien, uh, who's kind of responsible for the creation of this because of this bet that they had between each other, or this kind of gentleman's <laughs> agreement, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Tolkien, on the other hand, though, didn't he never fully made good on his promise. Now that being said, he did begin a book that would be kind of come known as the lost road. Um, that was kind of the, the original title and okay. the premise was of time travelers who would go back in time, uh, and visit Atlantis, the lost city of Atlantis before it sank. Okay. And, uh, and so, you know, buying in directly to Tolkien's love of history and this idea of kind of, you know, we, you know, exploring a civilization at its at its pinnacle before you know technology destroys it. You know, one imagines that that would have been a major theme of this book. But what I what's really interesting though is that even though the Lost Road never saw the light of day, even though he never completed it, he repurposed a ton of the lore into what became the foundations for the Middle Earth kind of uh, uh, like I guess lore for the be for lack of a better word. Basically, really, wow, yeah. So if I'm getting this right, and and I'm sure that like Tolkien devotees will will come and and correct and and you know by as, all means as necessary, yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But the idea was that his story or his kind of lore around uh, uh, Atlantis became the lore for the origins of the people that Aragorn directly came from, descended from. The idea that they actually came from this island that you know was because of things that happened in the far distant past, it ended up sinking underwater and everything else. And so their language, their history and everything got repurposed from this book and became the origins of kind of this kind of offset of uh, humanity in Lord of the Rings. Wow. So. That's just so incredible. You, you've got to, um, you know, admire his, uh, you know, adaptability for, for, um, for that. That's remarkable. Oh yeah. Well, and that's the thing he loved 
kind of coming up with these concepts and pouring them into story. I mean, I think at this point, we probably are all very much aware of his love of languages that, in fact, uh, you know, the, the Hobbit and, and the world of Middle Earth kind of came out of him first creating these languages and, and needing a story to, to justify the fact that he created these languages. Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, he, he, he was, uh, he was somebody who was deeply passionate, very, very, uh, you know, detail oriented, which is kind of funny because when it comes to fiction, he would, he made a point to create stories that he was translating from someone else. The idea of course, that he found a history and he was doing his best to translate this history, but perhaps some things may have gotten lost, almost mm. giving himself a bit of a mulligan in his own storytelling, right? Like you know, it, it may not be perfect here yet. I goes into extreme detail on everything, but it may not be perfect here because, you know, some of the, the, uh, nuances may have been lost in translation as wow. he's bringing forth the, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the history of whatever this story may be. Um, and before diving too, too much deeper into his actual work itself, I mean, it has to be noted as well. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned before prankster, partier, terrible driver, uh, <laughs> costumer, uh, also lover. Oh yes, he mm. was a he was a passionate man, and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he had a very very uh, passionate relationship with his wife uh, Edith uh, Bratz, if I'm not mistaken. And um, interestingly enough, because of their uh, their faith differences, she was uh, he was Catholic, she was not. Uh, you know, she he was not allowed to actually pursue her. They met when they were teenagers. And uh, so it wasn't until they kind of came of age that he was able to kind of be free to go after her. And at that point, she was actually engaged to someone else. And uh, oh boy, Tolkien started dropping little Elvin in her ear. And then all of a sudden, she dumps <laughs> other dude and goes off and marries uh, future Mister Moneybags here. Dro- so it works out really well for her. Dro- dropping a little, <laughs> dropping a little Elvin in her ear. Yeah, man, I, I <laughs> that's solid, man. I'm, a, I'm, a, I may have to uh, take a. Uh, a play out of old J.R.R.'s book at some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it, you know, you think about kind of the, the beauty of, especially kind of these, uh, these elven women that, um, you know, kind of are, are prominent in, in Lord of the Rings. And a lot of the uh, kind of the, the, the visuals came specifically from his wife and, and kind of his, the way that he looked at his wife and kind of mm. this beautiful uh, uh, person, passionate, filled with life and, and appreciating the world around her. And so, yeah. you know, obviously, with any storyteller, you know, we, we talk about the fact that he's influenced by, you know, his, his personal love of life, the fact that he was a partier, that he, he enjoyed pipe tobacco, he enjoyed beer. Uh, and then also he was, you know, impacted by the darkness around him and seeing kind of technology advance and killing people around him. And then also his passionate love and, and, and you know, seeing, experiencing kind of mm-hmm. that, that true, you know, that truest of love that we can get this side of glory. Mm-hmm. And then also his faith. These all kind of mixed together to create this fantastic storyteller who is not without his faults. You know, we, we always look back at yeah. somebody and we kind of glorify them. And, you know, the interesting thing is because Tolkien is one of the most influential, right? was one of the most influential writers of his time. And because so many different writers have borrowed from him, yeah. uh, that yields great fantasy, but it also brings with it some of the, uh, 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 you know, scars of time as well. <laughs> so yeah, but regardless, fantastic writer, fantastic uh, uh, individual and worth studying. Yeah. Now, of course, the reason why we're talking about him is, uh, you know, he would not be a hero of a bull if he was not an if he was not an iconic pipe smoker, which he absolutely <laughs> was. And it's not just that he was somebody who enjoyed his pipe and uh, enjoyed pipe tobacco and was famed for it, famed for talking about it, uh, famed for you know the being photographed with his pipe. 
but also because he wrote about it. He created yeah. such lore and history and myth, not just for England, not just for the world, but in fact, for us as a pipe community. Yeah. And, and John David, I, I hope this is okay. Like, literally, I hope we don't get sued over this. <laughs> I, I want to I kind of put something right here in the audio. This is actually from Lord of the Rings uh, that you're about to hear from the audio book. And this is, this is kind of a, a history of pipe tobacco in accordance with kind of from Middle Earth. And, and as you're listening to this, remember that Tolkien is trans, you know, from, from his mindset, he's translating this as kind of this alternate history of the world, a found history of the world. So theoretically, this could be the real origins of pipe tobacco. There is another thing about the Hobbits of old that must be mentioned, an astonishing habit. They imbibed or inhaled through pipes of clay or wood, the smoke of the burning leaves of a herb, which they called pipeweed or leaf, a variety probably of Nicotiana. A great deal of mystery surrounds the origin of this peculiar custom or art, as the hobbits preferred to call it. All that could be discovered about it in antiquity was put together by Meriadoc Brandybuck, later master of Buckland, and since he and the tobacco of the South Farthing play a part in the history that follows, his remarks in the introduction to his Herb Lore of the Shah may be quoted. This, he says, is the one art that we can certainly claim to be our own invention. When hobbits first began to smoke is not known. All the legends and family histories take it for granted. For ages folk in the Shire smoked various herbs, some fouler, some sweeter. But all accounts agree that Tobold Hornblower of Longbottom in the South Farthing first grew the true pipeweed in his gardens in the days of Isengrim II, about the year 1070 of Shire Reckoning. The best homegrown still comes from that district, especially the varieties now known as Longbottom Leaf, Old Toby, and Southern Star. How Old Toby came by the plant is not recorded for to his dying day he would not tell. He knew much about herbs, but he was no traveler. It is said that in his youth he went often to Bree, though he certainly never went further from the Shire than that. It is thus quite possible that he learned of this plant in Bree, where now, at any rate, it grows well on the south slopes of the hill. The Bree hobbits claim to have been the first actual smokers of the pipeweed. They claim, of course, to have done everything before the people of the Shire, whom they referred to as colonists. But in this case their claim is, I think, likely to be true. And certainly it was from Bree that the art of smoking the genuine weed spread in the recent centuries among dwarves and such other folk, rangers, wizards or wanderers, as still passed to and fro through the ancient road meeting. The home and centre of the art is thus to be found in the old inn of Bree, the prancing pony that has been kept by the family of Butterbur from time beyond record. All the same, observations that I have made on my own many journeys south have convinced me that the weed itself is not native to our part of the world, but came northward from the lower Andwin. Whether it was, I suspect, originally brought over sea by the men of Westerness. It grows abundantly in Gondor, and there is richer and larger than in the north, where it is never found wild, and flourishes only in warm, sheltered places like Longbottom. The men of Gondor call it sweet galenas, 
and esteem it only for the fragrance of its flowers. From that land, it must have been carried up the greenway during the long centuries between the coming of Elendil and our own days. But even the Dúnedain of Gondor allow us this credit. Hobbits first put it into pipes. Not even the wizards first thought of that before we did. The one wizard that I knew took up the art long ago and became as skillful in it as in all other things that he put his mind to. Now, obviously, you know, not not the real history of pipe tobacco, but certainly <laughs> a beautiful one and, uh, and a fun one to explore. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it is a fun one to explore. It's It's one of those things that obviously it was important enough to him. Uh, in his personal life that he and, and enjoyable enough to him that he wanted to weave it uh, throughout his uh, his fiction and and it truly is it is throughout uh, Tolkien's fiction it, it's everywhere um, you know it, Tolkien he was an avid pipe smoker I mean th- this is a person that uh, was constantly found with his pipe and uh, maybe at the Eagle and Child with his friend uh, Lewis there uh, in Oxford over a uh, you know a mug of uh, of, of dark beer. Um, you know, there are many photos of, of uh, him with pipes, smoking a pipe, uh, talking about his pipe. It is well established that uh, Tolkien, of course, enjoyed capstan. Um, and, um, you know, this was his favorite tobacco. It, it was one of those things that uh, his son, uh, Christopher, later in, li- later in life, remembered that, uh, you know, their home growing up was littered with empty tins of capstan, <laughs> right, that, uh, you know, he would he would save and then use for uh, to collect various trinkets and and things of that nature, but um, you know, there's just tobacco, uh, you know, leftovers kind of all over the place, and of course, uh, this delicious capstan was kind of his go-to. So, uh, capstan, uh, the you know, is has changed a lot over the years, but is currently made um, by the MacBaron Company. Um, you know, this uh, after you know for decades was made by W.D. and H.O. Wills, um, and his uh, you know for for the most part. Uh, you know, tried to maintain the same formula, but, you know, again, tobacco is a natural product, and so things uh, change, adapt, recipes are uh, adjusted and, and even lost in some cases. And so um, capstan has always been that kind of navy uh, navy flake uh, tobacco. It's, uh, you know, a tobacco that uh, focuses on uh, Virginia's uh, bright and mature leaf, uh, Virginia, that, um, you know, just has a real nice kind of natural uh, rich, mellow flavor to it. Um, you know, there there's probably a little topping on capstan, although they uh, don't really admit to uh, admit to that very much. But if it's a true navy flake, a lot of times we see that type of thing. But um, Tolkien loved this. He uh, you know kept kept his pipe around all the time. Uh, also was a, a fan of the Players Navy Cut, which uh, unfortunately is no longer made. But uh, similar tobacco to the capstan, very much. Uh, you know, Virginia with uh, just a little bit of that rum topping. Um, most photos show Tolkien with a straight pipe, which was probably a Dunhill, although, uh, you know, that was never confirmed. Never really talked about, you know, the, the type of pipe that he used, but was always uh, always caught with his pipe. It's it's interesting. Lewis, uh, of course, he was dear friends with Lewis, um, smoked a what we called a campaign pipe. It was a pipe that was issued to uh, the British troops that were uh, that were from Dunhill, and so it, it's very likely hmm. that uh, that Tolkien himself uh, smoked a campaign pipe as well, which which would have meant he was a Dunhill smoker. But um, all that to say, uh, those straight billiards, thick walls, and uh, big generous bowls, uh, awesome reading pipes. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you just kind of in in envision when you think about Tolkien smoking a pipe. And of course, there's a lot of photographic evidence for that. 
Um, he said, uh, quote, I've always smoked. It's so tied to writing that I can't write without it. And um, it, it's just uh, it's very apparent, you know, and he he really used his, um, you know, his his love of this. He weaved it uh, through all of his various stories, his favorite characters. Um, of course, we talk about in the lore of Middle Earth, the uh, you know, the 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 tobaccos that come out, the uh, old Toby, which is the finest pipe weed in all of South Farthing and uh, Longbottom Leaf and Leaf and Southern Star. And um, he, he, he talked about how, you know, Gandalf picked this uh, picked this ritual up from the from the hobbits and uh, and, and the hobbits gave it to Gandalf and Gandalf it, uh, uses it as this element of wisdom and uh, meditation and thoughtfulness and uh, and all these things. And, and I think Tolkien really. Um, you know, kind of uh, lives in that space himself, and really shows. Uh, I don't. I don't know. He's kind of living through through Gandalf and and the hobbits there, and um, it really comes through. So um, yeah, it's just you're just an iconic pipe smoker, and uh, one of those guys that you know because he wrote all this, because he uh, lived it, put it in his work, um, and his work has been so timeless. The 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 rich richness of Tolkien's work. Uh, keeps giving back and keeps inspiring new pipe smokers every year. Um, it, not just because of you know Peter Jackson's movies that have uh, you know been renditions of of Tolkien's work, but um, because of the work themselves. People reading, kids reading these books uh, year after year, and uh, and eventually when they come of age, picking up that pipe because uh, you know maybe The Hobbit was their favorite novel growing up. So um, just a just a remarkable man and a real true hero of the bowl. Uh, someone we can all uh, really be thankful for. Absolutely. I, you know, I want to pitch this right now and I want, I want feedback from the listeners because I'd be curious if there'd be any interest for this. I would love, you know, at this point now we've, we've done kind of a deep dive into C.S. Lewis, you know, with this episode, we've done a deep dive into uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. I, I would love to like revisit these men's friendship, you know what I mean? And kind of go into some of their, their philosophical, you know, thoughts and, and even like some of the things they disagreed on and just kind of just visit some of those ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of almost in like a conversations over a pipe type of series. Cause obviously that would not be as deep into pipes or tobacco. We can kind of touch on what they may have been smoking at the time, but really kind of get into some of the conversations that came, you know, knowing full well that there was plumes of smoke surrounding them as these things were being discussed. Yeah. I'd, I'd just be curious if there was interest for that. So anyway, let, let us know what you think, but um, hopefully you've enjoyed this deep dive into Tolkien. And you know, the, there's only one way you can really do a deep dive into Tolkien. And that's of course by packing your pipe with some good quality tobacco and a good quality corncob pipe, not just any corncob pipe, mind you, from Missouri Meerschaum, but not just any corncob pipe from Missouri Meerschaum, mind you, like <laughs> specifically, they have gone out of their way to create an amazing series of pipes called the Cobbit series of pipes, which I now own, I think three of the four yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. It's so great. The the Cobbits are tremendous pipes. And uh, of course they are in homage to Tolkien and his uh, incredible universe, but um, they're, they're just doggone good pipes in and of themselves, man. They have incredibly high quality stems, uh, beautiful little brat or nickel mounts there uh, on the end of the tenon. And of course the hardwood insert in the bottom of the bowl, uh, all of them have generous uh, bowls, but the uh, the wizard in particular has a really large, uh, big bowl, deep bowl. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got the dwarf uh, and the and the shire, which uh, have more of a, a kind of a medium to full size bowl, and then the elf, which uh, really shows out as kind of a middle middle point between uh, the shire dwarf and the wizard. So, um, just great, incredible pipes, really high quality uh, production here, uh, and they range anywhere from nineteen ninety nine to thirty two ninety nine. 
uh, individually, which is incredibly, uh, incredibly affordable and, and a great value for the quality of pipe that you're getting. So, of course, these are longer stem pipes. They can kind of do uh, favor uh, smaller church wardens, um, which are really nice. And so it, it does tend to cool that smoke down just a little bit uh, as you're puffing some of your favorite uh, favorite uh, Hobbit weed. So anyway, I <laughs> uh, really encourage yeah. you to get one, smoke one, uh, collect the whole series, too. They even come in a uh, Hobbit collection gift set. Set, which is available uh, that has three of the four of the entire uh, collection. So uh, check them out, man. If you've got uh, one of those pipes, we'd love for you to smoke it this week. Tweet us a picture and we'll tweet it back out uh, to let Missouri Mearsham know that we appreciate them for sponsoring this show. Absolutely. The the dwarf in particular is like, it's it's finding, you know, Country Gentleman's still my favorite Missouri Mearsham, but like, yeah. like the dwarf is, is mm. <laughs> it's, mm, it just it's hits coming home, in buddy. hot, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving that pipe. It's a great pipe. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pipe Question of the Week. All right, man. Pipe Question of the Week coming in from CDV. Uh, CDV. This question is, yes, sir. How much of a pipe purchase should be visual rather than functional? Last hmm. week, you talked about the various grains displayed in the Father of the Flame movie. But what value does grain bring to the actual ability to smoke the pipe, if any? Thanks, CDV. Yeah, it, well, we kind of, um, CDV, we kind of have two questions here, right, that we're working with. So um, how much of a pipe purchase should be visual rather than functional? Let's take that one first. Um, so when you smoke a pipe, right, th there's a reason uh, when folks shop for pipes at the Country Squire that right up front next to our pipe display, uh, there's a large mirror. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, you, we encourage people to try on their pipes. Uh, you know, when you are smoking your pipe, you're making a... Uh, a visual statement. You are making a statement about who you are and what is important to you and the nature of your uh, hobbies and character and all that other stuff. And so because you're making a statement, you want to make sure you're making the right statement. And so the the visual look of it, uh, I think to some degree, is an important thing. We've got these uh, guys, you know, they'll put the little uh, plastic sleeve over the end of the stem and uh, take a look at it, you know, in the mirror just to kind of see if it fits their look. And I, I think that's I think that's understandable. I, I really do. So the so the visual part of it can be important. Now, if you're talking visually about something like the grain, uh, we're talking about, um, you know, it, it both something that is partially functional, but also is very uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing and can be collectible. And so as far as the functionality of it, you know, the, the grain itself, the tighter the grain, uh, typically on a pipe, this can have an effect on the quality of the smoke. 
any opportunity, any any time you see tight grain, you're you're looking at passageways for air to escape the pipe, and so um, you know for heat to be radiated out of the pipe. Now, um, you know some people will say, does it make that big of a difference? Well, you know I don't know here and there, but you know th- there is something to be said. The pipes that have the better grain overall. Uh, typically, you know, tend to tend to smoke a little a little cooler in my experience, and I think a lot of that does have to do uh, with the quality of the grain. But you know, also folks that get the better grain pipes, you know, some of your more reputable uh, pipe carvers and pipe manufacturers, uh, they're also caring for their pipes better, right? And mm. so they're not, uh, you know, the, hey, I'm I'm a you know reputable pipe manufacturer. I got this, you know, really beautiful grain pipe. I'm not going to rush the process, right? I'm going to make sure the drilling is right, the, um, you know, that the briar is aged correctly, that it's not uh, force aged by being, you know, kiln dried or something like that. You know, that the pipe is uh, carved, you know, properly and all these other things. Uh, the proportions are correct. And I just think there's something correlated there that is more than you might think. So, um, but anyway, the, the grain itself can be a, a visual representation of opportunity for heat to escape the pipe. And so there is that. Uh, but over and above that, the, the grain is a collectible, you know, thing in and of itself. And at some point you are paying just for, you know, the beauty of the piece and, and the, the collectible quality of the grain, the uniqueness of it, the uh, exquisite patterns that might be there, uh, things like bird's eye and uh, tight, straight grain, flame grain. Uh, bird's eye flanking the 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 top and the bottom of the pipe uh, with straight grain going across the sides. All these things are you know aesthetically very pleasing and in some cases very rare, very hard to get your hands on. And so um, you know it, talking about the grain of the pipe, what value does grain bring to the actually ability to smoke a pipe, if any? Um, I, I think it can it it correlates to some degree with a better smoking pipe, and I think that's uh, you know just historically kind of played out. Pretty apparently, now, you know, we've we've got folks that are like, man, I've got this pipe. It's got the ugliest grain I've ever seen, and it smokes like a champ. Um, man, I, you know that that's true. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but I think on average, uh, your pipes with better grain are gonna are gonna smoke better. So um, over and above that, you are to some degree paying for uh, a thing of beauty, a thing that might be collectible or otherwise, and um, you know, and, and that has its own value too, because you are looking at your pipe and and you are making a statement when you smoke it. Man, that's good. You know, I never really considered that fact that it was almost like like quality grain in a pipe almost is, is this way of flagging like, hey, this person actually knows what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> that's not to say, obviously, I mean, there's some great pipe carvers out there that may not have access, but still, that's yeah. that's um, that's fascinating. I, had, I never thought about it through that lens. Great question, CDV. And hey, if you've got a pipe question for us, be sure to send those in show at countrysquireradio.com. Again, that's show at countrysquireradio.com. <laughs> Quick fire with the squire. Quick fire question. Ow! All right, man. These are continuing on the quick fire questions from Pastor Joda and brought to us by the awesome Country Squire radio shirts available at the countrysquireonline.com. More on that in just a second. Continuing on with Pastor Joda's Chilexan edition. Are you ready, sir? <laughs> Bring it, baby. All right. On a boat. On a boat. <clears throat> Sorry. On a boat <laughs> or on a jet ski? You know, I've only been on a jet ski, I think, twice in my life, and it was fun. I, yeah, I, you know, it's just something I never really had access to growing up, I guess. But um, you, you had access twice more than I did. <laughs> yeah, tw- yeah, twice more than you did, I get right. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I don't know. I, I liked being on jet ski, but I want to be on a boat. 
Um, I never thought I'd be on a boat. No, I've, I've, um, yeah, I've, I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm smelling what you're Sorry. stepping in, Bo. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I love, I love being on boats, man. I, I love it so much. Uh, when we went to uh, Greece a, a while back, we were on the Aegean Sea and and uh, we, you know, took this charter fishing. But I think I've told this story before. But I uh, took this boat, uh, this kind of like you know, family owned, multi generational fishing fishing boat that took us out and went fishing, and it was just yeah, it was glorious, man. I mean, it wasn't you know, it was no luxury yacht, you know, whatever, and it wasn't like a you know, high end like speedboat type situation. It was like a a rough you know, um, <laughs> not not small family fishing boat with you know there was kind of space for people to, to sleep in it and everything else. And anyway, all that to say, I, I love the the. You know, just being out on the ocean, being on a boat and like, yeah, just kind of camping out, drinking wine, uh, throwing the, 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 uh, fishing line out the side. And yes, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Jet no, ski, that's... never been on it. Would love to try it. But, um, no, nah, man, I'll, I'll take a boat every time. Never thought right. I'd be on a boat. <laughs> All right, man. Visiting a historic site or museum or visiting a theme park. Yeah. I, I'm going to go eight times out of 10 visiting a historic site or museum. I mean, it, it, that's wow, obvious okay, yeah. for, that's obvious for me. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think, think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so this is not to disparage historic sites or museums. I, I love both museums in particular because there's, it's curated history. You know what I mean? Like, so you yeah. get like a, you know, full story. Whereas Historic sites are great if you know the history. Museums are great for teaching you the history. That's an interesting theme, way to look at it. And so, you know, I, I love I love both for sure. Uh, theme parks, though, I don't visit theme parks all that often, but I love the idea of theme parks. Like, I, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm a big fan. I've, I've made reference to this before. I'm a big fan of uh, Westworld and, and kind of just kind of Michael Crichton's vision for, you know, if you kind of trace the original Westworld film to Jurassic Park to, you know, the HBO series Westworld and, and kind of this idea of a theme park gone horribly, horribly wrong. But then also the idea of, you know, curated narrative in a space in which you're experiencing it. I don't know. There's something about that that really I find really fascinating. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say theme park. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That, that's fair. That's what I'm going to say. Actually, I watched the uh, the first, the original Westworld um, from the 70s last night as part of my uh, my father's day dinner uh yeah. me and my wife watched that after the kids went down and man you want to talk about like a movie of the era in terms of just <laughs> just the worst special effects and like the storytelling is very much like you know monster attacks and we're running away from monster and we defeated the monster <laughs> uh-huh. and the movie's over and nobody asks why there's no development here <laughs> it's just but anyway <laughs> All right, next up, chatting it up with friends or quiet solitude? Okay, th- this one, I actually cheated and took a peek at the next question down the line as we were talking here. And <laughs> I, I saw this question, I was like, really? Because I I can't, th- this is like apples and oranges to me. I, I mean, for me, I, I again, I spend all day every day at the shop, you know, talking. And so a lot mm. of times when I get home, it is quiet solitude that, I, that I'm really looking for. But, you know, a well-rested, John David Cole, who has had his tank filled with good things and has, you know, <laughs> lots of time and energy and, uh, you know, is, is in a good mood. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to go with chatting it up with friends if, if that person is is present. <laughs> the, the exhausted, the exhausted, crotchety, ornery, foul tempered uh, John David that often, uh, you know, ends the day. Uh, and, and just wants to be quiet and uh, pout 
on the couch with his dog and a good glass of whiskey, uh, he would prefer quiet solitude. <laughs> uh, enjoy it while you got it still. Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's funny. If I was if I was back in Jackson, my answer to that would probably be depends on the friend. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's some friends that that I would like drop anything at any time, you know, non-family or, you know, related or anything like that. But I would, I would stop what I would do and uh, just to kind of sit down and, and have a chat with. Um, and then there's, there's some friends that like, Oh man, this is great. You know, great. Catch it up and like hanging out, but man, it takes energy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, sir. And, uh, and so, you know, there, so it does kind of depend on the friend. That being said, since being in a new city, um, I've kind of had my fill of quiet solitude. I like it. Don't get me wrong, especially yeah. you know with uh, the the added added time of with kids over the summer and everything. You know those moments of solitude are precious. But no, man, I I, I miss chatting it up with friends. I I definitely take that. That's great. All right, and then finally, porch swing or hammock. We we really should have saved this one for when we do the uh, <laughs> the porch. I know, right? Uh, yeah, uh, thing. But yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go with porch swing. Uh, I like a hammock, but uh. Yeah, I'll go with porch swings. Typically, porch swing, you know, I mean, you're on a porch, and so it's covered. If it's raining, you don't get hit by the rain. Uh, you're sitting up on a swing, and so, you know, you can have a place to put your, uh, you know, uh, glass next to you and maybe uh, sit your pipe down on a table, and uh, it's easier to, you know, pat your dog's head and all that kind of stuff. I like a hammock, but they can be kind of awkward, uh, particularly when you're smoking your pipe, uh, as evidenced by all the uh, the ember holes in my hammock <laughs> <laughs> right 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 no that's good man all right yeah me for the exact same reasons excellent questions uh from pastor <laughs> joda of course these are brought to you by the amazing country squire radio shirts represent the country squire radio podcast by heading over to the country and picking yourself up some swag today your thoughts your comments listener feedback all right, man. Listen to feedback, and we're kind of we're kind of running up on time here. So I yeah. think I think let's let's jump down to Jim's uh, uh, email because this is kind of related to our, our conversation yesterday. And, and interestingly enough, uh, he did not realize this, but kind of related to this episode right here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Uh, John David hit a hot button for me in the movie review. Uh, of course, mentioning the movie review we did of Father of the Flame last week, Flame. Uh, which was so uh, so much fun. Uh, he says, for centuries, the name of the rock layer that could become sacred stone was and is Pipestone. It was an outsider, a technician, a scientist upstart who presumed to name it after himself and call it Catlinite. Uh, might as well have called it... Uh, Sarumanite, <laughs> because Saruman uh, represents the sort of destructive technology and arrogance that Catlin was uh, intentional and unintentional uh, a part of. So he says he goes on to say uh, in in the gentle land of pipe smoking, uh, let's take a stand against the Saruman esque slant in our society and call the stone by its proper name. And that is Pipestone. <laughs> so, great, man, John. good call, man. Yeah, Jim, he, uh, of course, uh, man, good good friend of the show. And, um, yeah, man, uh, it, it is. It's Pipestone. There, there's a whole city in Minnesota named after it. And uh, and that is where uh, the, the beautiful kind of pinkish stone comes from that uh, so many of those uh, Native American pipes are, are carved from. So, um, yeah, great yeah. point, man. Thanks for thanks for and writing he, in. He made reference in his uh, email, too. I mean, it's just kind of the the kind of colonist colonistic nature to you know go in like oh we have discovered this like no a white guy showed up with a flag uh, this, this was already here <laughs> you know, like, right like right. oh this 
I, I have I have found this thing, and you know, it's just part of uh, the unfortunate history of the world. That's that part of yeah, exactly. In, but, yep. yep. But I like that. No, I think as pipe smokers, we absolutely should uh, uh, look to look get get back down to the the root as as you know, if I could get a pun in there on it, <laughs> no, and go back to it. So I love it, man. Pipestone, absolutely, hundred percent, Jim. All right. So, uh, also, if you've got some uh, feedback, if y'all want to send us any thoughts, be sure to do so. You can email the show at show at countrysquireradio.com. You can also uh, hit us up on Twitter at Squire Radio is the show. You can follow me. I'm at the real Bo York. I'm at John David Cole, or you can get us at the shop at at underscore Country Squire. All that information and more can be found at CountrySquireRadio.com. Mentioned at the top of the show, but of course, we've got that Pipe Culture Places episode coming up on the porch. Be sure to send those thoughts into the show. We'd love to read those off. Once we get to that episode, I really hope that you've enjoyed this particular episode on Tolkien and uh, John David. Man, let's go have a day. See you, brother. Postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.